Hey, Jeff. <laughs> hey, Gabe. How you doing? Uh, I'm looking forward to this beer, that's for sure. Yeah, um, this is a very... It's, cold. it's been cold. Really? It's been, yeah, yeah, it's been a cold day, although today's not too bad. There's still snow on the ground, but it's not too cold outside. We have a fire burning, and we are about to dig into uh, probably a beer that's been anticipated since the last time it came out. <laughs> like, yeah. It's almost impossible to get a hold of. I got yeah, I'd lucked into it's, one. Uh, I would classify it as a seasonal yep. beer, right? Um, yeah. It, it, it seems... It seems uh, the common seasonal trend is the cold months get the high alcohol beers. I low, didn't realize lower, lower hops. Yeah, what, what it seemed to. I didn't uh, realize notice. this was quite as high alcohol as it is. Yeah. Uh, uh, what is it? Well, this is the notorious Goose Island Bourbon County Stout of twenty fourteen. Yeah, twenty fourteen. So this is one of those ones where the age matters because. Mm-hmm. Uh, Let's see. This is this is totally from memory. I think they actually cycle through different um, barrels. Oh, I didn't know that. And they use different. They they have access to different barrels each year, um, and that is going to change the flavor of the beer that comes out the other end. So different bourbon barrels, just different whiskey barrels, um, and so they'll taste different, right? That so is pretty the, interesting. The, I had no idea. Year year is going to matter. And also the flavor changes dramatically, like as you age it. I have a 2013 of this, and a tw- I think I have a 2012 still on my shelf. Uh, it's it's hard to save these. Oh, it's really hard to save <laughs> these. Oh my gosh! So really, really good. So I haven't had the 2014 yet. I um, had one of them uh, two nights ago because I just couldn't. Oh, so I couldn't cheated. waste. I had to try it. Well, I didn't know we were drinking it for the show, so I had a preview. Let's call it a preview beer. So Bourbon County Stout. Uh, looks like what a stout should look like, which is really thin motor oil with a head. <laughs> yep, and it, and it's like a, a a brown. I don't know. It looks like coffee foam head almost. It's it's yeah. really uh, the smell it looks like is heady. Crema, you know the crema that you get on top yeah, of exactly. espresso. Um, but it has like this tremendous uh, wow. cinnamon bourbon like nutmeggy smell to it. It doesn't have seasonings in it. So no, it all is. That, all that comes from the barrel and the grains and the yeast. Um, it is, it smells amazing. It is 13.8% alcohol, which I I thought it was 11, but it's 13.8. <laughs> wow. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty good. So um, this is, uh, this, it's a, a, on Beer Advocate, it's 100. Yeah. The brothers, the beer advocate brothers, is a ninety-five. So it's a pretty well-regarded beer from a pretty notorious brewery, and we'll talk about that later. Um, this is so. Um, I've been drinking a lot of stouts lately. Uh, winter, uh, yeah, it's winter, and uh, chief among them are these evil twin stouts. These you know, imperial biscotti break and imperial donut break. Yeah, um, good. they're they're so good, and this is. One of those stouts that's right up there with them. Like when I, the first time I had it last year, I was blown away by how good it was. I just cut, got a random bottle at, uh, at the pub down the street, and I've looked for it ever since. <laughs> and, it's, hard, it's hard to get. People yeah. anticipate the release. I noticed the release seemed bigger this year yeah, than previous did. years, so easier to find in general. Um, but people wait in line. <laughs> like I know somebody that waited in line. Really? Uh, on Black Friday to get this. Yeah. Wow. I um, um 
We uh, so we can talk about this in a second. But we were I was on a um, uh, Thanksgiving week trip to North Carolina, and uh, so I'll tell you about that after we taste this stuff. All right. Let's uh, see see what this motor oil tastes like. Holy moly! Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had a drink for like two days, so this is uh, it's it's a, this is one to come back to. This Holy is all moly. the flavors. <laughs> no, they like put everything into it. It's, yeah, it's, it's sweet, but it has um like a a tart tartness to the aftertaste. Really, um, uh, roasty grain flavor. Very at the roasty, end, yeah. But up front, super super bourbony. Alcohol burn. Yeah, it's it's, def- a, it's potent. It's definitely got that uh, nice alcohol burn, but not overwhelming. Um, I love the kind of roasty coffee, chocolatey flavors of yeah. this stuff. Um, it's not again not overwhelming. Really well balanced. And uh, this is one of those beers where, um, when I had the bottle over the last couple days, it was about two days ago. Um, I had put it in the refrigerator and tried to get it cold. Now, my beer fridge down in the basement is usually around 48 or something. It's not super cold. Um, And I think this is at the perfect temperature because I noticed that when I drank it out of the fridge, it was much colder and it didn't have as much nuance until it warmed up. Yeah. So as it warmed, it unlocked a lot of different flavors and, and real complexity to it and it just added to that warmth oh my goodness this is yeah, good the, the, my i think the best way to describe it for me would be it's like you made a chocolate bourbon coffee mm-hmm. like it's, it's got such an intense coffee chocolate like like a mocha taste to it then layered with like good bourbon yeah, it's it's tasty. Um, my wife is not a big fan of these bourbon barrel beers. Um, uh, the last few I weeks have seen at all. <laughs> she said it bourbon. tastes like uh, cherry cough syrup, and uh, and so she just well, it's more for me, so that's a, a bonus. Um, but it definitely is a if you like whiskey, it's an this is a, a definite. One you, you should look into. Um, if you're not a big whiskey fan, which she I is not, avoid it. <laughs> yeah, avoid it completely because this has just overwhelming bourbon overtones to it. Um, yeah, in a great way, in my opinion. But uh, you know, I think that um, it seems like the the backwoods bastard that's come out again in recent weeks. I think that's even more bourbony because it doesn't have the balance of this chocolate and and malt flavors. Yeah, I think the the bourbon flavor is much more up front in your face in Backwoods Bastard because it's it's a Scotch ale, right? So it's it's a lot more about all the other flavors, whereas the stout is about the burnt grains, like yeah, the, the exactly. really charred grains. And so she really didn't like that one. But this one, she <laughs> was like, "Oh, this is okay, but it's not something she would reach for at first. Um, you know, I did like a stout tasting, you know, basically over the last few days on vacation. And the ones that came out the best with everybody who did the taste test was the Imperial Biscotti Break, which That's is good. I had so that, good. I had that over the holidays here. That's Evil Twin. And uh, we basically bought all of this this bottle shop that we discovered. We just bought everything that, that between me and the relatives who were there, um, they stocked up as well for gifts and, and whatnot. And uh, and the imperial um, 
donut break, which is Have even a bottle that's still waiting for me. Whew, wow, I think that's actually better than the biscotti break it when is. I've had it. Yeah, um, had it but I'm gonna hold on to that one. To, but for you're a right while. with all of these. Don't do them too cold because you lose all that, all those like variation in flavor. Yeah. So it what, kind, what of, it kind of just becomes a stout. Yes. In in the only thing you pick up is like the really intense flavor notes, and in like you know the it, it vaporizes a lot into your into my nasal cavity. So like the smell is like half the experience of them. Yeah. And when um, you breathe out through your nose, you get this this warmth yeah. and this kind of. Caramel and chocolate. It's really amazing. Um, yeah, what I did was, um, what I found the best way to drink these is we had these little five ounce, almost like a brandy snifter. And I would fill it up about three quarters of the way and just it, it hold it in my hand and it would warm up. And as it got warmer, the flavors would change. And then I got to do it all over again with another little glass of it. It was really yeah. cool. Cool. Yeah, I, lo- I mean, stouts are a huge thing now, right? Yeah, they're and, really huge. And the bourbon stouts have become like the mainstay. It's it's actually hard to find like a top-notch stout that doesn't have some type of barrel bourbon barrel aging in it. Yeah, and um it's kind of like the new collectible. And I think there's kind of there there's some there's a um uh, somewhat of a forced um difficulty in finding these things because the bourbon barrels have a scarcity to them. And so the, the batches are never that big, uh, relatively speaking. And so, and they're also coveted. So if you, you know, so we went to North Carolina, as I mentioned, we went, we found a bottle shop called Bombers in Wilmington, Delaware. And I showed up, um, they're, they're pretty new. They've only been open about six weeks. And I showed up and I thought, well, I don't think they're going to have any, but I'll ask anyway. And I said, do you guys have any bourbon? Before I finished the sentence, he was pointing at the back room where they had three cases of it and one case of the barley wine, which I've never had. Mm-hmm. And he said, you get one four pack and one bottle of the barley wine per person. Yep. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's a high demand and it is really good. I don't think that that end of the scarcity is manufactured. It is, they are really good beers. Yep. Um, I, I also do think it's the availability of the bourbon barrels. Um, and in a way, so these are aged for a year. Let's see. I'll, we'll put this link in the show notes. Um, I, I found it pretty interesting. They're aged in, uh, Various barrels, Buffalo Trace, Jim Bean, Heaven Hill, and I guess they rotate through some other ones. And they're aged for a year in those barrels. Okay, right. So you, you got to figure, like, that's inventory. They, yeah, there's space to store it. There's there's no guarantee that what comes out the other end is going to be perfect. So there's yeah, some so risk you have to that calculate in, yeah. like, loss. Right. There's some will be lost in some way. Barrel will be, you know, infected with something. Right. Like, cause a whole batch to go off plus i i also guarantee this is an expensive beer to make even before the barrel yeah probably has a ton of grain in it um and i mean this this stuff is sticky right you can can feel it sticky on your on your lips afterwards it's got a lot of a lot of grain used to make each bottle well uh 14 percent just the grain required to get the the wort out of that grain you know it says a lot (laughs) it's just a lot 
Um, yeah, so it, it definitely is gonna it's it's gonna be a pricey beer all the way around to make it, to store it, to ship it, to sell it, and then, um, you know, it's it's no it's no wonder that it's hard to find because as you were saying, you know, each one tastes different, right? So it's not like, well, I had it last year, so it's I don't need to get it this year or something like that. You know, like you it it behooves you as somebody who's into this kind of stuff to buy at least a four pack and store it if you want to do vertical tastings and whatever, you know. The vertical tasting is a cool thing to do with these and that's why I'm saving so I like I said I have several years I'm saving those to do like aged tastings and verticals and all that, you know, stuff. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> let me tell you about me going to a beer store though to get it. Oh, let's hear it. I went to it's a chain, a craft beer seller. Like they're kind of all over the country. I think they're mostly New England or um, East Eastern United States. Um, walked in before I finished saying Bourbon County Stout. They're like, we're not allowed to carry it. And, like, and I've talked to these guys. They're friendly guys, right? It's, uh, I was like, you're not allowed to carry it. That's super weird. And he's like, no, our the chain has a rule they're not allowed to carry InBev. Hmm. InBev, if for whoever doesn't know, Goose Island was purchased several years ago, I don't know, 2011, something like that, um, by InBev, which is Anheuser-Busch. And it was quite an event. People were pretty pretty pissed off. Wow, about really? Because it. Like, it was one of the premier breweries in Chicago that was doing really great and like doing amazing stuff, right? They're Matilda. Sophie. Really, yeah, Sophie, Matilda. Like they do interesting beer too. They don't just do like run-of-the-mill stuff. They don't just do pale ales. Um, and they were bought outright. Every share of, of Goose Island was bought by InBev. And everybody thought, oh, that's the that's it. What a, what a shame, you know, end of all these beers. Well, since then, they've had – you know, new beers come out and they've consistently produced the same beers in just as good of quantity or quality, but higher quantities. Yeah. Yeah. It seems to be really working out for the beer fans. Yeah. So I, that, that's why I want to talk about it. Like kind of on the like tech end is this idea of, um, creating these like boundary conditions of, I can't go there because of my principal, right? Oh boy, this is going to be a good one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, but we should we should disclose that I did not know what this topic no, was. That's ahead right. of time. So I blindsided <laughs> you with it, um, and because it, it got me thinking about this, because I was one of those ones like I'm never going to buy Goose Island again because it's InBev and you know screw Anheuser Busch. They they make garbage and they push garbage and they run ads that I think are inappropriate and ways that I think are terrible and blah 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 blah. Right? Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> but then. Like I started thinking about it after after a year, um, and I saw that they weren't changing what Goose Island was doing, and they were actually making more of it. It's like, but on the other hand, don't you want to reward the behavior you want to see, like continue? And that's like, a good point. If you if you want them to make good stuff, don't you want to reward that they're making good stuff? And like, yeah, don't buy it, bud. Don't you know buy Coors or those the terrible beers or the whatever garbage lemonade, spiked lemonade they're making <laughs> yeah. or spiked tea or any of that junk. But buying this to me is like saying, look, I'm willing to pay, geez, how much is this stuff a four pack? I, I don't even remember. Now. I'm afraid to look at my receipt when I buy this stuff. So it's like 20, 22 bucks or four pack or something yeah. like that. So you're saying like, I'm willing to pay 22 bucks, which would normally get me 
I don't know how many thousands of cans of Budweiser. Um, <laughs> and I'm willing to pay 22 bucks for four bottles of this, yeah. of this stuff and wait in line and like buy out every bottle you have that you ship to every store. That seems like that would send a message of like, this is a good revenue model. Make really awesome stuff, make it available and we'll buy it. Um, so yeah. I kind of, I kind of don't know how I feel about it. I think as I get, well, so you can I look at it two ways. Nerd, longer and longer, I get exhausted by principles. By outrage. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think there's two ways to look at it. One is you can look at this as, um, hey, this is a, we should reward this because um, InBev or Anheuser-Busch saw this opportunity to buy a company that made good beer and wanted to kind of get into uh, craft beer making and... Um, you know, this was a way to do it. And uh, look at this, it's working out for everybody. Um, but for, I, I guess the thing is, yes, you want to encourage it when it works. I guess there was a lot of cases where it hasn't worked. If you look at something like uh, Blue Moon, which you see everywhere, which is Coors, bought the company that made Blue Moon. I don't even remember their name at this point. Mm. Um, and I used to like Blue Moon okay. I mean, as a, as a you know, half of Eisen, it was not too bad. Um, it was uh, one of the first um, beers I ever saw with a slice of any sort of fruit in it, you know, like a few years ago. And I thought, well, this isn't too bad. Then they got bought by Coors. And I had one recently, and it is the worst, one of the worst beers I've ever had. It was terrible. And I thought this is kind of what your nightmare scenario is for this type of thing where a company, um, okay. okay. Well, hold on. Okay. Go ahead. But blue moon wasn't that good. Um, it wasn't with. great. It was, it was a reasonable hot weather Hefeweizen that you put a lemon in. Like it wasn't, it wasn't, terribly good. it wasn't this, it wasn't bourbon County, but I'm saying that this was something where people, I'm just saying that there's enough examples to cite of a big company buying a little thing and making it terrible for you to be somewhat leery of in purchase oh, of Goose absolutely. Island. That's all I'm saying. Fact, have you ever seen like Sam Calgione from Dogfish Head give yep. lectures at, you know, craft beer festivals and whatever. Like he gives actual lectures. He talks at length and about a topic and there were many years there. Every every time he gave a lecture, like the take home message was, InBev is purposely trying to ruin craft beer because they're worried about it taking over the market, and so they're doing things like making craft beer that is on purpose not good, so that people who are new to it taste. You know, they they flood the market with it. You know, they buy up their shelves at the grocery store because that's the way it works. You leverage your, you know, the size of your company to say. Unless you put all of our beer on the eye level shelf and on every eye level shelf, we won't let you sell our beer. So that's that's pretty common. Um, but he was really adamant and passionate about they are purposely trying to ruin the craft beer experience for new people that come to it for the first time. They're like, "What's this? I'll try this," and it it's terrible. And they spend more for it, and then they feel cheated, and yeah. then they don't buy it again. Yeah, it's interesting. There's so there's there's a couple things. One is. I saw an article, um, I'll try and track it down so we can put in uh, the show notes that we never have, um, about how craft beer for the first time surpassed the sales of, uh, I guess it was Anheuser-Busch, you know, like it was Budweiser or something like that. Like for the first time ever, craft beer had enough of a market share to even make a dent in one of the bigger beers. But it was a big deal to everybody who 
is into craft beer because <laughs> that's never happened before. Yeah. And part of it is because of what you're saying is people have this impression of, well, you know, my dad's that way. Like he sees a beer and he's like, what makes this beer any good at all? It's like, why is this $5 versus a, I can buy a six pack for $7. What's the big deal? Um, that's the kind of, that's the guy who, you know, just doesn't get what you're getting from craft beer. Right. So it's a hard sell. And then you've got this thing. I don't know if you saw it, it was going around on Twitter. Um, that it was Budweiser, King of Beers, is selling um, as a way to capitalize on the whole hipster uh, Paps Blue Ribbon thing. They're selling uh, these vintage-looking cases and this kind of throwback labeling and styling of Anheuser-Busch mm -hmm. beers to make them look, you know, to appeal to kind of the, the hipster crowd with the twirled mustaches and uh, <laughs> bespoke... Uh, uh, Filson coats, and uh, it, it was it was so cynical when I saw it. I'm like, this is. I mean, well, people they, are still going to buy it too, but still. Yeah, but they buy all kinds of. Did you see when they made like the hundred pack? It was like this. Uh, what? It's like this. <laughs> it was the um, width and height of like a twelve pack, but the length was long enough to hold a hundred. <laughs> and you oh needed God. like you needed like multiple people to carry it, That's and that was a thing that they sold, and it was a marketing gimmick, right? Whatever. Yeah. Oh um, my gosh. But I mean, a lot of this stuff is. And I think that's where I had a little bit of. Um, not trepidation, but I guess I was just I had an eyebrow raised at this kind of. It looked like um, forced scarcity for Bourbon County, but then as I started reading more articles about how they make it. And all this stuff, it really does seem like it's not an easy thing to make. You know, it's not an easy thing to keep. Uh, because, you know, the other thing is, what if next year they said, hey, we're going to double production of Bourbon County stout. We're going to break the bank, buy a whole lot more bourbon barrels, age that stuff for another year, and then stouts aren't big next year, right? They have well, all this inventory yeah, and nothing. possible. I don't think <laughs> I don't think these styles are going that way. I think there are some like niche styles that come and go. Well, um, I'm just saying it's not a no brainer that they just say, let's double everything and uh, it'll be a sure success to do it now. Yeah, that's so, true. I mean, uh, that would honestly, they could do it. The actual bad outcome of that would be bourbon barrels would not be available to all the other small brewers that are doing other, probably more interesting things with them. It would probably also drop the price per six, per four pack. I would hope. I, I doubt it. <laughs> I, do I doubt they would. Yeah, I just had another taste and you're right. I doubt it. <laughs> yeah, they'd, they'd have to make back. I mean, well, I mean, I taste this and I pretty much think you could charge whatever you wanted, like within reason, obviously, but it is, it is just so good. Um, and it's interesting going back to your previous point that it's coming from a goose Island that's bought by InBev, you know, like, like you said earlier, the, the fact that the you know, beer of this quality is coming out of that marriage of companies is pretty encouraging. So back to the, the, the point then, um, how do you, how do you gauge your rage <laughs> about this kind of stuff? Do you just say, ah, well, maybe I've been wrong this whole time. Or do you, do you say to yourself, um, 
you know, maybe I have to go back and look at some of the choices I've made to, to protest these things and get mad about these things and say maybe you have to look at each each instance individually. It seems like well, Goose Island I mean, made a good good deal. There there are some things that I I do ref- some companies I refuse to do business with. You know, companies that are outright um, brutal against people that are disenfranchised, you know, racist companies or companies that shoot elephants for fun, you know, okay, stuff like that. Um, like I won't do business with GoDaddy. Nope. And yeah, that's a more, that's a moral outrage I have agreed to participate in, but it's not hard for me to not participate. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Cause, Cause I actually like, <laughs> you know, I like hover. I use hover to register domains. So, um, and I hated, hated the whole GoDaddy business model. Um, it turns out they're just as scummy as you would guess from doing business with them. Um, but you know, there are other things that I think are really, it's really easy to jump on board without like contemplating what that means to, to jump on board. You know, like let's say, let's say the outrage did work against goose Island in that they stopped making beer under the goose Island label, or they stopped making the expensive beer and they started making Blue Moon type beer, right? Yeah, under under the Goose Island label, would that be a win? Ugh, yeah. Like uh, I don't know. Is is did you accomplish what you wanted by being mad? Um, <laughs> I don't. I, I don't know. I don't know either. Um, it's it's something that. Uh, so so what are are there any who won't you do business with? Google. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I was just thinking, like, how do I lead into this? Um, I think there is a. I just looking through my list, my mental checklist of companies that I've had it up to my neck with. Google is one of them. Facebook uh, was, you know, another one who I just didn't uh, like their business model or what they did. So I divested myself of all of, you know, using their stuff. To be fair, you don't actually do business with them um well okay no uh i guess what i'm saying is that i'm not making my well okay so the phrase if you're not paying for a service it's because you're the product um yeah it's a little cliche now but yeah it it is but it's a, a lot of those companies are the ones that i kind of backed away from so um i know what facebook is is doing as far as this ad model goes, because we've been looking into it for tap seller. Mm. Um, and I can't tell you exactly why I can tolerate Twitter for the same reasons. Uh, I have the same, re- same reservations I do about Twitter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, mainly, that's really funny. I think mainly because, um, and, and if, if the, if Twitter ever changes their model, I think I would back away from that too. But the thing that I don't like about Facebook is they tune what you see based on some strange algorithm. So, you know, if you, if, if your friend posts four things, you may see three of them, another friend may see two of them, somebody may see all four of them. And there's no way you can, can just see all of what a friend's things in your normal feed. And I remember reading, I guess about a month ago that Twitter is saying that's coming for Twitter. Like you will get a feed, you, it's going to be tuned for you. You know, they make it sound like it's going to be great for you. But the thing I like about Twitter is it is everything everybody says, as stupid as it may be, but you don't have to worry about, you know, having it censored or tuned or tweaked or whatever for you. Um, so I think 
the reason why I don't have the the same cold feet that I had, and I, I again I went on ADN and stopped using Twitter for about eight months. So it wasn't that I am you know chained to it and I refused to stop using Twitter. If ADN had gotten more, App.net had gotten more users, I I probably would have stayed there. Um, but yeah, so and, and Google's the big one because I was a huge Gmail user for years. Um, used Google Calendar for everything. And I think there's, there's, their policies um, over the years have been such that it's one of those things where I just said, okay, that's enough's enough. I'm gonna, I don't like what they're doing. I went to DuckDuckGo for search, FastMail for email, uh, iCloud for my calendaring. And now it's probably been 18 months or two years or something like that since I've been doing it. And um, I don't miss it. Um, I mean... I, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Um, yeah, no, I, I, I can see, see both sides to it. I, I pick and choose. I appreciate if I'm not paying them money that they're making money somehow. Like these aren't altruistic companies that are, that have an endowment by, <laughs> you know, a mad genius that is just funds all their research to, to make electric cars for the good of mankind. Their their business, they make money off things, right? And so the more money they make, the more that they can do f- other fun things. But um, you know, I appreciate Google basically changed webmail for the better. Um, even considering that there are better alternatives, in my my opinion, but um, like they set the bar much higher. Uh, I think online access, web access to a lot of stuff has been inspired by like the way Google Drive. I mean. Remember, remember how maps were before Google Maps? Yeah. Oh, I'm not. Like I'm MapQuest, not f- right? MapQuest was not a good experience. No, that's true. Oh, I'm um, not saying that they didn't do a good. I think that they've changed fundamentally as a company in the last three or four years in a way that I don't like. That's why I've moved away from them. Um, it wasn't that I didn't like them. The reason I used their stuff before was I felt it was the best out there. You know, um, I love Google Reader. I love Google Calendar. I love Gmail. I had several Gmail accounts for various purposes. Um, I, I used uh, Google Search for everything. I was very heavily a Google user. Yeah. Um, I just feel that they changed as a company, and I don't like the way they changed. And it's, well, so so let me let me try to put it in the context of like the discussion of Goose Island and InBev. Um, I think why they changed was that whole Google Plus initiative thing. Yep. Of like we're afraid we're missing the boat, and we're afraid the web is going in a direction that we can't index. So let's try to convince you all to put all that stuff here. Um, yeah, because they were having fights with Twitter and Facebook about n- not being let in to index things for search results. And, oh, yep, I remember that and all that stuff. And uh, I think that it really freaked them out about what the the future. Like they like to think that they're future forward on everything, that they're going to like divine what is the new path before it becomes mainstream. And I think they really honestly thought like the new path was everything would be inside Facebook and inside Twitter and then they would be left out in the cold. Um, but I think Google Plus kind of failed in that mission yep. because people didn't like what they were doing like they and refused to participate. So in a way that that outrage machine worked, it, it yeah. chewed up chewed up Google Plus and yeah. you know I, I they think kind that, of re, refocused. On the other hand, like they've added a lot of privacy controls to things like Gmail 
in ways to opt out of being indexed in different ways. I think they're they're pretty upfront about what they're going to do as far as indexing your data and, and kind of show you clearly rather like Facebook. I do think like they do things sh- shady on purpose, um, you know, changing privacy settings randomly and making it really difficult to know what your privacy level is. Right. Um, I think is done on purpose. I think you're right. Um, I had a couple, um, I recently was looking into Facebook, like I said, for tap seller stuff and they wanted me to add, a phone number for security purposes. And I thought, okay, well, that's probably a good idea. Um, not that I have anything on here, but it'd be a good idea to add it. And about 10 minutes later, I started getting uh, Facebook, whatever they call that, the feed updates texted to me. <laughs> uh, and so I had to go about three layers down in notifications to go into uh, text and then go into those and then say, Oh, it was set to unlimited texting to this number, uh, for all notifications as a default. I thought it was just for security. Uh, how, you know, how convenient. Well, so I'm pretty careful with my phone number. I made Mm -hmm. one stupid mistake through the course of us doing all this business for tap seller and gravity well group and all that stuff. And I almost always use a Google number. Ironically, like a, a Google phone number mm-hmm. um, for everything because it's not my primary phone number. Yes, I can see who calls it and have it forwarded and do all this stuff, but I can also filter filter out things more easily. And for whatever reason, I don't get a lot of like spam calls on the Google number. Maybe that's because Google is good at figuring out what's spam. And uh, just so happened we were setting up one thing using the App Store, and I registered something with my real phone number in. Oh. Jeez, have I gotten a lot of like uh, still almost at least once a week, sometimes every day, I get a call from a number that I don't recognize. I don't answer it. Um, the ones that I did answer were like marketing garbage. Yep. This is all through like what we would normally consider reputable businesses that, that we were doing business with in order to sell an app on the App Store. Yeah, it's funny. I actually had a Google number. That's another service that I used of theirs. Um, and that uh, I'll talk about that being another thing that annoys me about Google. Um, but uh, I was getting calls. I used this number as basically a um, a filter, right? So uh, for the same reason you use them, I gave that out so that if any junk came, I could always just see a text of it or an email of it of what this person left me. And then uh, I would say I started getting about four or five calls a week that were hangups or somebody looking for um, somebody named Z Prime to come DJ their party. And um, I have a new nickname for you. <laughs> Yo, Z Prime. Z Prime. Uh, he's like, why are you calling me back? I got the, we got the party this weekend. I thought we were going to be here. And, I, you know, it was it went on and on and on. And I finally was like. I started replying back using a text and what it was doing is it was somehow routing things incorrectly. So when I would reply back, reply back through my actual cell phone number, but it didn't look like it was doing that. Oh, And so they would be like, who is this? What are you talking about? And it was, it was just a mess. So I shut down the whole Google voice thing completely because I couldn't find any way around it. No matter how I changed it, it was doing something wacky. So, so I don't feel like, 
The, so there was always a lot of promise of the Google products. And I felt like not only were they not living up to those promises that not, not like that they promised me something, but I mean, their promise as a company, like they're, they had these really kind of idealistic goals of we're going to make this really cool stuff and these experimental products. And okay, maybe they, maybe that wasn't a good business model to stay in business. I can totally see that, but that does give me, that makes it my prerogative to keep using their stuff, right? So Google Reader, um, basically they cornered the market by muscling out all the other news readers. Well, make- see, even that I think is an unfair okay, representation. I don't think they muscled anybody out. Like they didn't have a business behind it of like contacting people and saying, hey, you know, you should drop your current RSS reader and use Google Reader. Because I mean, they didn't have a business behind it. They right, just made enough. it free. And ev- and everybody moved to it because they wanted to reward that behavior of being free and because they liked free things. And it was actually pretty good. Yeah, that's right? true. It, it did a lot of really great things with RSS feeds. Um, unfortunately, like they don't take the, they didn't take that role very seriously or consider that that to be important to them. So they f- could kill it off without caring. Yeah, I, and I guess the. But I think the reason why they killed it off is they weren't making the ad revenue from it that they probably thought they would. Right? I don't even know how they made ad revenue off of it because uh, this is how I thought of it at the time. If you can't make money off of knowing all the things that I'm interested in and the things that I star and <laughs> bookmark, yeah. and like that tells you who I am as a person at that point. If you can't make money off of that, I don't know how my searches are going to help you anymore. Like these are the things that I've chosen to sh- like shove into my head every day. Um, yeah, it's funny I, that you can go on Google and see what picture it is they've drawn of you based on things that you've looked for in the past and things you've done. Uh, I don't know if you've ever done that. It's part yeah. of like the Google takeout thing. You can go into your settings and see your ad profile, you and they think I'm a 24-year-old who's into uh, reggaeton. Which hmm. I don't even know what it sounds like, but I'm pretty sure I'm not into it. Yeah. Um, so it's just like, you know, there are drawing inferences. They may not be the correct ones. Um, but I, I guess back to my point, like I felt like where I was aligning with them for a long time, I no longer was. So I just said, well, I, yeah. I can make a choice just like they make a choice to turn off their Google Reader or kind of all the other things that they've killed off, you know, new uh, protocols or whatever they're designing that they just kind of f- switch off or I don't li- like what they've really done with Android as a platform um, that I just made a decision to say, uh, you know, I-, I don't like where they're going, so I'm just not going to go with them there. I, I think that's fair. That- that's a different, I think that's a different argument than I don't, I don't agree with their philosophy. So I'm going to not be involved with them. So uh, let's see. Other companies I won't do business with. Blockbuster because they're assholes. <laughs> like I, I really do. I hate. Do they do anything anymore? I, Are they, they still well, a company? They, they've tried repeatedly, like to do, um, like an online rental service and streaming and all kinds of. They they sold their name and everything. Like I have such animosity towards that company because of the way they treated me as a customer for like a decade. That I wish them nothing but ill. Yeah. Like that, and I will go out of my way not to do business with Blockbuster. Like if Blockbuster miraculously had money again and could buy Netflix, I would stop using Netflix. 
like outright without even waiting to see what they did with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can see that. I just want to give them the middle finger. Yeah. They, that's know, the way I feel about Walmart. They charged me late fees when it wasn't late. You know, they left it in the drop box for two days and then charged me a late fee, like all that kind of like user hostile or customer hostile stuff. And so they're one of those like companies I categorize as I will never do business with you because you're awful. Um, and then there's, like GoDaddy, which I think like they're just a, like a, a, they do some unsavory things when they're, um, I think they're doing unsavory things when they're trying to upsell constantly and trick you into buying extra stuff. And or at least that's been my experience. Um, and the whole elephant shooting thing just put a bad taste in my mouth. And considering like they were the worst of the services I had used, um, it was easy just to say I won't do business with GoDaddy. Yep. It's definitely not. But one are, they have are, to stretch for, you know. There are many that I would say, like I won't do business with Facebook just because I think that their thing with the privacy settings was. Honestly, I do. Th- maybe, maybe I am a, a nut job, but I think it was sinister. I think they did it on purpose because they wanted to capture more user data that people they knew people wouldn't be willing to volunteer volunteer and share. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they kept changing the security settings hoping that <laughs> enough people didn't get them right that they started collecting more data yeah yeah i, I, I think that was their goal well and Maybe it's that's hard wrong. i don't it's hard to argue when somebody like their ceo basically said i don't see what the big deal is of collecting all of your data well, like, they all, it, <laughs> eric schmidt said kind of the same thing if you have nothing to hide then what do you care well, kinda, but that's i think attitude, it, but that's a businessman who just wants to make money off of it right they're not yeah they're not saying like it well if our free service, we won't collect any data. But if you have nothing to hide, then, you know, it's not a big deal. But it doesn't matter because we're not collecting data. Like, that that's nonsense, right? Yeah. They want your data because they make money off of it. Exactly. It's, and it's, it's and I think him model. saying that is disingenuous. And that's in, indicative of the stuff that drives me crazy about them. I yeah. mean, that's, I mean, nobody, nobody should buy that stuff. You know, buy his line saying that, you know, what do you have to hide? I, wonder how many people actually do and well there's a lot of people that defend him and defend the company and it kind of drives me a little bit crazy because they can conveniently filter this stuff out but if something like you know something happens with with apple too i was just gonna say that like if apple something happens on apple everybody jumps all over them for that stuff so well apple people that like apple find it easy to forgive various things that they do you know like there's stuff going on with yosemite that's not cool that they're, you know, if you turn on things with Spotlight, then it's constantly sending data back. Um, I don't think that's cool. I think that should be opt-in, um, not opt-out. Actually, I don't think it's even called opt-out. You have to go in and, like, adjust settings that seem like they would be turning features off. Well, because it is features. That's the thing that drives me crazy about the folks saying, uh, you know, it, it basically is the search, right? So it's like it, it, the stuff that Spotlight is doing behind the scenes. Uh, the reason why it's sending stuff back and forth is because it's trying to understand how to make your search better. It's not, and they were very specific about what those things were and how they were using them, how long they stayed, what that algorithm did. And I, I don't. Well, they were only specific if you dug in and you. And after everybody was like upset about it, was it obvious what was was it made obvious what was happening? Well, I guess you're right, but then maybe you, uh, I could if you could point me to somebody who can explain exactly what Google's doing with my data, that would be awesome too because they are really 
like they're you know sell, they're so they're an advertiser so that's that is my one like hang up that i'll never get over is i do understand when i'm doing business with a company that they're an advertising company yep like that's what they do facebook is an advertising company google is an advertising company twitter is an advertising company that's their business they're not a social network company they're not an email company they're an advertising company yeah they're an, exactly they're an ad network so uh walmart's another one i choose not to do business with yeah i i, I don't go out of my way to not do business with them but if there's you know a store that i can go to within a reasonable distance i'll choose not to go to walmart just because i think that they've kind of driven our perception of quality versus dollar well, yeah, I think that's one of them. Then I think that there's they um, are a company that's really famous for crying poor, um, but they have they pay their employees next to. In fact, I saw something that they were doing food drives for their employees because they don't have enough money. Really and then I and then I saw a stat that said um, the the Walton family Walton family. Yeah. Uh, Make, wealthy. Yeah, they make more than forty-two percent of the Amer- of Americans combined. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I wonder how much they put in that food drive box. <laughs> exactly, and I think if they just paid their employees more, they may be still top yeah. twenty, I would think. But their employees wouldn't need food drives to survive the uh, <laughs> the holiday season. So that's another company that I try and avoid at money all costs. Money is an addiction. The f- actually, it's the fear of loss of money is the addiction. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I, I always think like how much is too much. But I think uh, I was talking to a friend the other day, and he knows mega rich folks. And all they do is worry about having enough money and the tax and the, the anti-government yeah. stuff because the government's taking their taxes. And, you know, he's just – his mind is boggling because they're driving around in a Bentley. And he's thinking, seriously? <laughs> you're worried about your t- your your tax rate when you're living better than, you know – When your nine- car is worth more than most people's houses? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. So, yeah. so well, I think Walmart's another one. Um Beer wise, anti anti anybody is anti science or anti kind of like reasonable logic. I I try to avoid, and there, I don't think there's any major companies that are like that. But if I find out somebody's associated with like a creationist, you know, a holistic health or vitamin type company, I I try to try to avoid them. Creationists, but but I don't you know, like I don't, a creationist. Like, uh, I'm not supporters. out there researching. Like I'm not going to buy these products because let's see if they're associated with things. Like I really don't have the energy to do that. Maybe maybe I should. You know, I don't buy a lot of jewelry, um, but clearly diamonds are one of those things. Like you kind of can't get get away with not doing business with what's like a pretty. Like skeezy, in my opinion, a pretty terrible company. Like De Beers is owns the diamond market. Wherever you get your diamonds from, it's probably coming from De Beers. I didn't so know that. Diamond, yeah. I'm not a diamond buyer, but <laughs> I guess that's a good thing in some ways. Um, what else? There's a few others out there that are. But don't, I, mean, I like. I don't know how you feel. You're you're a pretty old man. I'm you're very like, old. Oh my really, god, really, really old, and. Uh, <laughs> You find you become more or less sensitive to all the stuff as you get old. Let's get this straight. I'm not Dr. Drang old. I'm just old. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> um, do I? Yeah. I, I definitely used to be more of an angry young man. 
years ago. And I think part of it is, I was just talking to my wife about this over the weekend. We had a long, too long 10-hour-plus car rides to talk about too, stuff. Too long as in the number two? or As in Uh-oh. too damn long. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and one of the things that we talked about was just being uh, how, if you look at Twitter or if you look at the news, it is, because um, we are with some relatives over the weekend who were, you know, libertarians and very staunch Fox News supporters. And I thought there is no end to the things that you can get outraged about. Um, in fact, it seemed like some of the relatives we were talking to, they do it almost. Um, That's the default position. Yeah. Well, it's I'm almost like a hobby you pr- until you prove that I shouldn't be mad. Yeah. And there's no way to prove it to them. So, uh, you know, and I overheard one of their wives talking to somebody else saying, all he does is spend his time on the internet getting mad about things. <laughs> I thought to myself, <laughs> describes most well, of the internet. <laughs> it is. And it's so weird because then I would look at Twitter and it was, it was outrage. And I looked at, um, you know, news feeds and they were outrage and it was, it's, it's tiring. And, um, so, it, you I'm know, not, it, but I'm not trying to say that there aren't valid things to be mad about. Absolutely. And, and valid reasons not to do business. Like, um, you know, current current events, stuff going on in Ferguson. I think if if your goal is to affect change, one way to do that is through essentially a financial embargo. Don't do business with um, businesses based there so that they kind of feel that more directly. On the other hand, you could argue like that's actually not what you want to do because it's going to affect the people that live there just as much. Right, exactly. Like, what's the right thing to do? Um, well, I, I guess – something. I guess Sweet about it. Yeah. Hashtag, hashtag yeah. ad. Yeah, exactly. That that's definitely going to affect change. Um, I mean, in some ways, maybe it does. I mean, I think the the uh, Arab Spring stuff was facilitated in some ways through social media, in in some small way, anyway, to at least generate some sort of public perception. But I think uh, you know you, you can go far and wide with this stuff. I think that where we ended up coming up with was we um, we felt like, my wife and I, that there were certain things that we had control over and of, and we just weren't taking control of them because it was just, it was hard to get your arms around, you know, these big topics, right? So factory farming and all this stuff, it just seems like such a big problem that you don't know how to approach it. So we just said, well, you know, going out and protesting or signing petitions or all that stuff is is by and large useless. Um, If a big company has millions behind something and they're not directly losing money, as you said, they're just going to keep doing whatever makes them the most money. That's just what companies do. So some will argue that's the that is the goal of unbridled capitalism is the market self corrects, you know, based on what people people are happy doing yep and so you could argue walmart makes that much money because people are happy shopping there and and buying things that are of an inferior quality but super super cheap yeah or you could say that they they buy there for other reasons like it it since they've basically put all of the mom and pop shops of the town out of business with their low prices and gas prices are high (laughs) it costs more to drive to the next town just to patronize someplace to pay yeah. more money 
It's just so the path of least resistance. Market forces. Yeah. And then, well, as we all know, we don't have pure capitalism. Right. We got that too. <laughs> exactly. So all you kinds know. of regulations that affect one group and not the other and um, penalize w- one part of our society. Right. Than- uh, yeah. I was reading in that, that Walton's and Walmart article about how they're, you know, they cry about market pressure and they're not t- doing Apple Pay because of Apple's, you know, they don't like what the credit cards are doing and they say they charge too much of a margin or whatever. But they're also benefiting from colossal tax breaks, which essentially we are paying for. We have to shoulder the burden of it. Anyway, the point I was trying to make before, because we could talk about this this is an endless hole that we can go down, is that we just said... (laughs) An endless way to get hate mail. (laughs) Yeah, well, that too. Is that we we just backed away from the whole thing. We bought a house out in the country. We buy all of our... We belong to a CSA, so all of our vegetables for probably around eight or nine months of the year come from a local farm. All the meat that we buy, although my wife doesn't eat meat, I do, come from local farms that butcher it right here on their farm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but Jeff, if everybody did that, you wouldn't live in the country anymore. It'd be called a city. <laughs> I'm just saying this is what I can affect, and this is what I choose to I'm do. Just giving you a hard time. I know. I know, but that's, but that's kind of like, I feel like uh, it's at least a step in the right direction that makes me sleep better yeah. at night. Um, and then you pay the price of commuting. So I pay the price work. of commuting. I pay more for the things that I'm getting because it's mm-hmm. not like you get that stuff for free, and the, the you know the, the they're not getting the economies of scale that these other farms get. But I feel like, um, you know, well, how do you feel about Amazon? Oh, that's a good one because I was just reading something this morning about um, a person who uh, was a picker at Amazon. Did you see this in Seattle? I've read, I've read enough bad articles <laughs> about Amazon, but they sit in that weird zone where like, I want to love them, yes. but I'm always pulled back by like reading things that they do, like the whole book, you know, publisher. Oh yeah. Thing, the where deal. Right. Um, you know, basically blackmailing publishers to, to change their pricing model to suit them. So they essentially sell more product. Um, after after suing Apple for yeah, I mean that that's a yeah. whole other part of the part of the storyline that you can get into. But just like that kind of stuff of like leveraging their position and size um, to kind of do underhanded things, I think it's not to me. It doesn't feel like honest business. Um, and Boy, there's the way a, they treat there's them. a loaded term. <laughs> honest business <laughs> after our it, last discussions. It, it also feels like they don't treat their um, their employees very very good, but on the other hand, I freaking love Amazon. Yeah, like, that's I, the tough I, part. I love them as a customer because their returns are really easy. They're really you know pretty decent to to do business with on the customer end. I don't think their prices are particularly great, um, but the convenience factor is. Yeah, convenience factor. I think they've also set this. Um, they've used their weight to set the this bar for if shipping's not free, you're getting ripped off. Oh, I totally feel that. Shopping online for the holidays this yeah, year? Yeah, yeah. If I see a place and they're like, oh, it's, you know, $8 for shipping, I'm like, $8 for shipping? Who do you think you are? <laughs> exactly. And I'll go look on Amazon and Amazon, Amazon doesn't have it. And then eventually I'll begrudgingly buy it. But what I've lost in that whole like outrage is like, I didn't do the math for how much Amazon is marking up everything else to pay for the free shipping. Like they're not doing that out of the kindness of their heart. Right. Exactly. I'm, I mean, I'm but paying I mean, for it somehow. 
Well, you know, you're paying for it with your Amazon Prime membership. You're yep. paying for it with a lot of other things. Uh, yeah, they're they're one that's tough because we use them a lot. Um, we we used them for years, um, and you know, had stuff shipped because we live fairly remotely. <laughs> last few right. years that's the consequence of living uh, out there yeah. off the land is now you need uh you know a new pack of batteries exactly so does you spend 20 minutes each way to get a pack of batteries or do you have amazon send them to you and they'll come in in a day and a half usually free shipping um and then oh you know what we need this other stuff too let's just throw that in there so you know they're getting a lot more purchases for me of things that i might i might not need exactly but you're right i mean i read this article it's just I was kind of mortified. Um, at the same time, those folks are completely at will employees. Um, I worked in a tile factory in a warehouse for every summers during high school and college. So I know kind of what it's like to do what they're doing. And they're making it sound like it's pretty terrible. And it's not mm-hmm. the most fun. But I worked in an unconditioned tile factory warehouse for years. And... I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people of, have it worse. Crummy, Come on. Crummy, crummy, crummy jobs, cleaning yeah. bathrooms, all kinds of terrible jobs. Um, you know, the whole don't make your employees work on Thanksgiving thing uh, that's been going on. I, I get that. Like you want, like let people be home with their families, blah, blah, blah. On the other hand, many of those people want to work because they want the money to spend right. so that they can spend it on their family for Christmas. Um, so like trying to, protest a company into not being open on Thanksgiving actually may not help the people you think you're helping. Um, oh, that's, that's part of that whole, you know, manufactured outrage on Twitter and news sites is that it's kind of like, <laughs> it kind of lurches from one side to the other and it doesn't necessarily examine all the angles. So you're right. Like, if they were to sign a petition and every company closes for Thanksgiving and then people basically can't afford to pay their rent that month because they didn't get paid for that day or for those two days, yeah. uh, you know. Ugh. So so what you're saying is it's complex. I'm saying it's kind of complex. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like this beer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> is it also 14% alcohol like this beer? Uh, I wish geez. it all was 14% alcohol like this beer. Um, so, so uh, you know, after all this, how, how are you feeling about InBev and Anheuser Busch and all that? Well, how would you feel if uh, InBev uh, bought uh, Evil Twin? Oh, wow. You know, I don't know. I just knowing what I know about. Uh, Yepi, I guess his name is. I don't think he would get muscled into the to a deal that didn't help him. I know that he, he goes all over the place. He's he's a gypsy. I don't think Goose Island was muscled into anything. Like, exactly. H- half of them was owned by like the Craft Beer Association or something like that. Yeah. So I mean, I I don't think he would get muscled into a deal that would be bad for him. But yet you never know. I mean, there was a lot of uh, controversy about three weeks ago because Ten Barrel is it Ten Barrel that got bought. Uh, yeah, the latest InBev acquisition. Um, yeah. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of acrimony on both sides. People saying, hey, this is great for 10 Barrel um, because, you know, they're a really small company and they've been, you know, struggling for a while or whatever their, you know, reasoning was. And then, um, but the, the the flip side was, I've been trying to support 10 Barrel by buying their beer, going to their brew pub, doing everything I could to support a local brewery, and 
their thank you to me was basically selling, packing up, and you know doing whatever they're going to do. I, I can see both sides being kind of, I don't know, dissatisfied with the solution, but like we said before, it's a business decision, and yeah, maybe well, maybe the stuff that happen? we didn't maybe, know. Maybe they'll keep everybody on at Ten Barrel, make it a bigger production facility, and make a larger, you know, percentage of the craft beer be Ten Barrel that you can buy. Yeah, and maybe, know, maybe increase their distribution. Maybe it op- they open a bigger place in Portland, which is you know it's a local place, and now they can employ more people, and you know it might work out awesome for them. And I think, so going, going back to Goose Island, when I saw people arguing, Goose Island was the counter, to your first point, they were the, hey, look what happened with Goose Island. It worked out for everybody. We get more Bourbon County. They have financial security and deeper pockets to do what they want to do with interesting beers. And, you know, InBev or Anheuser-Busch gets a toehold in the good craft beer market, and they're getting rewarded for you know, making good beer. <laughs> so yep. the same thing could happen with this 10 barrel acquisition. At the same time, we don't know the details. Maybe they are going to go under in two months and then there would be no 10 barrel. Maybe, you know, who knows what mm-hmm. it's, it's business. We don't know, but there's a, there's enough acrimony to go around for everybody for sure. Yeah. Go, go on Twitter. You'll see it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's where we keep our acrimony. Oh yeah, you keep it there. Well, we don't keep it there. That's where it, that's where it's hottest. It's where it lives. It's happiest yeah. there. It's, it's, I've, I've actually been off Twitter quite a bit lately, just because it's uh, wow. it's a concentrated version of all the terrible things. Even even actually, you know what? You know what? Uh, my Twitter feed that I've enjoyed the most is our uh, Tap Cellar Twitter feed. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Because actually, because it's it's like all it's mostly craft beer stuff, and this is actually a minor topic in the craft beer world. Um, so it's mostly like this is awesome. This just came out. I'm so thrilled. I got this. And here's ten, here's Oregon's uh, ten best seasonal beers. Yeah. Here's uh, Oscar Blues Ten Fifty, which I just got eight eight of uh, down North Carolina. Mm. Fantastic. I love that yep. beer. Um, yeah, there's a lot of really good stuff on there. It's, but then, you know, probably topic for another discussion, but it's like, it's about how people tune what they see. Like the Ferguson stuff doesn't go away just because I'm looking at all of this beer stuff. Oh yeah. I'm happy you're seeing all the beer stuff though. So I'm going to look at the beer stuff. Oh, I check in (laughs) to see what's going on. Twitter is actually like my news channel. Yeah, it is mine too. The news, the news tends to um, percolate up there quickest and, for, Most succinctly. Um, for good or ill. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, as with everything, right? You yeah. Take, take it for the good and for the bad. Yeah, it would be interesting to see, you know, what happens. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see what happens with Twitter and their business model because they do change it and they tweak it. And it, I don't think they've tweaked it for the better so far. Although I, I have to admit that since we started watching the tap seller feed in the tap seller in the Twitter page, uh, web page, mm-hmm. they've done a lot of good stuff there. For for you running, uh, I don't think it'd be good for me as a typical user, but as a person who's running an like a feed for an app, really useful. Like you can see other apps to that have Twitter feeds, other breweries, other people who are interested in apps. You see all the notifications of people sending stuff. Like it becomes this neat Hmm. little console um, that you don't get when you're just using something like a tweet bot or something, which is my general 
uh, thing. But this, the, the thing I like about TweetBot for me personally is that it's not, it's not doing any filtering or tweaking or changing what I see. <laughs> see, that's what I like about it. It has my filters well, applied to it. And it, it, but you can I don't tweak see it. ads. Yeah, <laughs> you can stuff. tweak it. I think that's, that's the thing is I want to have complete control over my feed of what I see and what I don't. And I think if they introduce some sort of an algorithm to push stuff up to your attention yeah. or or hide stuff from you, it would it would be the death of it for I get, me. I have to say, if if it it doesn't seem like they're going to, because now they want to be a third party developer best friend. Um, <laughs> yeah, for but now. if they ever killed off third party Twitter apps, I would probably rarely check in on Twitter. Uh, I just <laughs> like how you say you, you don't go so far as to say I wouldn't use it anymore. Though. Well, because I still do find it valuable for like news. Mm-hmm. I, I would probably just trim my Twitter feed down to mostly being news outlets. And and because that's when the like the breaking news comes in. Like if there's an earthquake somewhere, you almost always hear about it on Twitter first. Yeah, but I guess if they start tweaking and tuning that stuff, you might not see it in the same way you do now. You may see it because you're following things that are specific to seeing that type of thing. But if they start tweaking it, you may you know, get more t- oh, there's, Taylor there's Swift stuff. That they, could, they could, you know, poop in, on their, <laughs> on their party. Um, I'm, I'm sure they could, if anybody can mess it up, it'd be Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> they, right. They're really good at messing things up. Um, you know, proactively. Yeah. I, I, uh, I just hope that they don't do it in a way that it affects like the, the clients that I use. Did you see the, um, or maybe, hear the latest Gruber show where they were talking about the uh, mission statement from Twitter that came out? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> mission statements are taken for what they're worth. It like uh, mission statement means nothing, in, in my opinion. It it describes the the version of you that you want people to think you are. Yeah, like it doesn't exactly. It de- doesn't describe actually what, what you are internally, um, what your priorities are there, because I don't think you'd probably want most people to know what your internal priorities are. Yeah, exactly. I just think it was it was pretty darn funny that it was as kind of tortured language it, because I feel like Twitter doesn't really know what they are. They they're always seem network. to be changing. Um, so they're an ad network. They're, that's <laughs> period. That's where their money comes from, selling ads. Well, but um, they weren't that way, you know. Well, they started as every Silicon Valley startup, which is we don't know how we're going to make money yet. Just, <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll figure it out later. We'll spend all the VC money first, and then at that point, we'll figure out how we're making our money. Oh, exactly. Um, well, I think they're they're not they're not on my they're not on my shit list yet. Um, what about their so their latest change is the you know somehow tracking what apps you have installed. Blah 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 blah. Um, on your phone. I don't know if I care about that. They like, do. That's that's their new thing that they're going to offer. Is oh, offer. What apps you have installed. The offer meaning you don't have any choice in the matter. If you're using the native Twitter app, uh, they will know what apps you have installed. Um, and I've seen it argued like, oh, well, plenty of apps like Launch Center Pro knows what apps you have installed. Difference is Launch Center's Pro's business is selling you an app. Twitter's business is selling your data to someone else to sell you sell ads against you. Exactly. Um, so <laughs> it's a, such I, an apples and oranges argument. I wouldn't be thrilled if they knew what apps I had. Then again, I don't use the native Twitter app. I I use a third party app because I really do like Tweetbot. I like filters. I like to like trim down my timeline so that 
it's what I care about. Um, yes, I'm narrating my my view of the world. I also <laughs> don't go into a library and read every book starting from letter A all the way through letter Z. I choose things that I'm interested in. Maybe you should start. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right, I'm out of here. <laughs> all right. County Stout with me. Yeah, I'm going to have a lot more of this stuff to drink. I don't have a lot. I mean, this is, this is I barely... I mean, not even half through this glass, which wasn't even a full bottle. Yep. And, and it's... Uh, yeah, it's boozy. It's, it's potent stuff. <sighs> so I would say if you can find Bourbon County Stout, get it. Buy as much as you can. Yeah. Don't wait in line. Don't, like... I, I wouldn't... Just because there are, there are amazing beers out there. Like, you can go into a good beer store right now and buy... Something from Evil Twin, um, something from Founders, like all these. There's so many incredible stouts out there. That, yeah, uh, I think ridiculous. Yeah, if you could, I've been calling uh, Oscar Blues Ten Fifty the poor man's uh, Bourbon County since I started comparing the two. I mean, it is a really, really good can stout if you can find it. Yeah. Um, oh, that's and, interesting. You specify can. Yeah, I don't. I've never seen it in anything other than the can. No, that you specify it's a good can stout. Yes, versus just a good stout. Um, I guess I was just more directing to what where where to look for it and what shape, okay. <laughs> what form factor. If you were one of those people that were like you considered cans. Um, not really. I haven't. I, there have been so many good beers I've had in cans recently. There's definitely nothing. I have nothing against them. What I do not agree with. I think it's on a heady topper can. They say drink it from the can. And I think you're losing so much for an IPA if you drink it from a can. I think that's just that's that's the thing. Whatever. They can put whatever well, they be, want on their can, but well, yeah, but you pour know. it into a glass because I want to see what it looks like, what the color is, and I want to put my face in it when I drink it. Exactly. That's my thing. It's like when you just drink it out of the can, you lose the, the I understand face pudding. Argument. They're saying you're gonna lose the volatiles when when you pour it, it's gonna like, you know, vaporize. Most of that vaporization happened when they were boiling it anyways. Yep. And when they transferred it and did all this other stuff at high temperatures, um, that's when it lost most of that. So, well, I I don't know if you've ever. It's a minor, minor insult to the beer. Did you ever uh, see Sly Fox? Do you get that up there? Uh, No. Sly Fox is a brewery about an hour from here. And they have a can, it's a Hella. And when you pull off the top, the entire top of the can comes off. Wow, that is awesome. So it turns into a glass, essentially. And is it like razor sharp? No, it's nice. It's, it's, is it like the can from, uh, what's that Vin Diesel movie where he cuts the guy's heart out? <laughs> like that's, I haven't had that experience with oh, it. Okay. I'm going to try it now. First hobo I see. So... Um, yeah, it, it's really cool, though, because I think that's one of the ones that's really, you know, you pop that top off, you can drink it right out of there, and you still get the, the kind of the effervescence in your but face. I, now I want to know why all cans don't work that way. Exactly. That's why I'm really surprised it's just that hella, but, you know, keep your eye open for it and see uh, if you uh, like it. Definitely, just just to experience that. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. All right. Uh, uh, this, this is this a long, inter- I, long yeah, and rambling discussion. The, the uh, Pajarnik story about stouts. So see how, how long we've been recording. Oh, too long. I'll save it for some other time. So I think we should definitely have another stout next week, and you can tell that story. It's wintertime. We have to have a stout every week. <laughs> Close to it anyway. 
<laughs> uh, all right. All right. Talk, talk to, to you later. later. See you.